0: Uh, This past Monday, a book that I wrote called God's Favor came out. I was hoping to have some copies here for you. We had them uh, shipped from the mailhouse there in Colorado, and uh, I heard there was a snowstorm in Colorado, and they were unable to get here. So my apologies, um, but uh, if you'd like to uh, catch the book somewhere, check it up on it. It's uh, available on all the normal sources, Amazon or Christian bookstores or maybe even the secular bookstores as well, or it's uh, through Baker and Chosen Books. Uh, one more time, my apologies for not having it here. I was hoping to be able to share that with you and with Teen Challenge, but uh, they'll probably be here after you leave. And, uh, and one good thing about the, hearing about the delay is that uh, there's a snowstorm in Colorado and I am not there. So that's, <laughs> that's one of the, one of the good things I'll be heading back there in not too distant future. So, um, but let me share a few of the things the Holy Spirit put on my heart about God's favor. And, uh hold your place in uh, Matthew chapter 26. We'll be going there together in just a moment. But I just want to... His favor, his favor, his favor is, is, is on you. It, did, did you. Did you wake up this morning? And, then you already have his favor. Can you take a deep breath right now? You just, you just received some favor from, from God. Are you sitting next to somebody you like? Then you got God's favor on your life already. Have you ever met a man named Jesus Christ? Then you have God's favor. Are you saved today? Then you have God's favor. Are you sanctified today? Then you have God's favor. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Then you have God's favor. Is He walking with you today? Then you have God's favor. Is He talking with you today? Then you have God's favor. Have you been forgiven of all your sins? Then you have God's favor. Has he cleansed you from all your iniquities? Yeah. Then you have God's favor. Is he smiling on you today? Yeah. Is he out for your good? Yeah. Is he always for you? Yeah. Then, he ha- then you have his favor. Yeah. To a degree, we want more of God's favor, but to a large degree, we already have all of his favor. It has more to do with appropriating what he has already made available to us than it does twisting an arm to try to get him to like us and therefore give us his favor. He he has made all things available. He's given us, uh, it says in, in Peter, all things pertaining to life and godliness. Past tense. He's given them to us. Amen? Amen? And that's such good news. And now it's just a matter for us to appropriate them to, to acknowledge their uh, existence, to be aware of them, and to not at all wrestle them away from God, but to receive them graciously from God. There are greater measures of favor. All that we just said, thank you God for, is, is just a portion of the fullness of his favor, what he's about to pour out on his church, on your life, on your family. He, he is for you and not against you. He's, he, he is on your side. He's looking out for your best interest. He's, he's not a hard taskmaster. Those who have a hard time multiplying in ministry and seeing God's favor brought out to other people are those who, like the man in the parable who said, when he was given one talent and the other five and the other ten, he said, I knew you were a hard man. That's what he thought of the master. Therefore, I buried what you gave me. And some of us think of God in those terms of him being hard and difficult and, and uneasy to please and, and so demanding that no matter what we do, we're never going to be able to earn his favor and there's a reality of truth to that. We can't earn his favor. We, we, there, there's a principle of sowing and reaping, but the reality is, he gives his favor graciously. He he loves to. It's the nature and character of who he is. It's not something he's trying to do. Like you and I, sometimes we're trying to be patient, right? Sometimes we're trying to be gracious in difficult situations. God never has to try to do any of those things. Cause it's just who he is. He, he is not just doing things that are favorable to us. God is favor. And he wants to pour it out. He wants to give it. He wants to receive it. But many of us are stuck in a, in a place of not really clearly understanding that he wants to give it to us, that we're afraid of him, that we see him as difficult, that we see ourselves in, in light of saying, like, I did something to merit disfavor of the Lord. I was maybe once in his favor, but I've gotten out of his favor. I've shared with you at this conference before my history of growing up in a church where the pastor preached every Sunday against a different sin that, that we would commit. It's like he had a book of a book entitled 52 Different Sins to Preach Against one Sunday every week. And, and every Sunday I'd come to the altar and feel like I displeased God again and I had to get kind of resaved. And, and it was a tiresome, wearisome. And, and it wasn't, it was sort of like I remember as a child, you know, they they would describe hell. And I would go to myself, I don't want to go there, but the way they describe heaven doesn't sound a whole lot better. It, it sounded like he was just sort of like, do this and don't do that. And God's favor seemed a million miles away from me because I was such a failure, such a loser, such a sinner, such a wretch. Such, I, always, I always let him down. I always heard to do this and I did that. And, and I, so I thought I'd lost God's Favor, and then I heard my my grandfather. He was like a hellfire, or my great grandfather was a hellfire and brimstone preacher. So I kind of heard some of that preaching growing up as well. And I I always felt like, you know, that this that there's that uh, I, you, some you could have God's favor, but then you could also be under God's curse, and and, and the fear that fear-based mentality is like I've done something to merit God's curse, his wrath, his anger at me. And I'm, I'm afraid I might not make it to heaven. And, and if I do, it'll be by the skin of my teeth. And just this, this fear-based relationship with the Lord that made me feel like I was missing out on his favor and instead underneath his curse. I am so thankful to have learned and be able to present to you clearly and honestly and without compromise that if you know Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to the doorpost of your heart, you are not under a curse. You cannot be under a curse. There is no curse on you. There's no no word from the pit of hell, no demon sent to be signed against you that can put you under a curse. Christ took the curse for you. You're not under a curse. There's nothing left for you but the blessing of God, the favor of God, the glory of God, the goodness of God, the graciousness of God, the delight of God, that's what he has for you. That's what it means when he says he's for you and not against you. Being against you would be his wrath, his curse, you see, we, we come up out of the Old Testament understanding of the law, and in Deuteronomy twenty eight it tells of all these curses that come upon you. Cursed if you if you do this, you'll be cursed. You'll be cursed in the field, and you'll be cursed in your in your in your marriage, and you'll be cursed in your family, and you'll be cursed in your health. And we we see these things happen to us. My health is difficult or my marriage is in a struggle. Oh, I must be under some curse. I must be doing something wrong. And in Deuteronomy 29, it says it's the blessings. If you obey me, then you'll be blessed in your land and prosperous, and you'll be, uh, your families will be blessed, and your children will be blessed, and your flocks will be blessed, and your inheritance will be blessed. All these blessings of the Lord. So it seems like a, um, almost a karma-type mentality. You do the good things, you get the good blessings. You do the bad things, you get the curses. Well, the good news is that Jesus took the curse for us. Now, for us, that's good news, but for for him, I understand now more than ever the horrors of the Garden of Gethsemane when he took the cup, the cup of wrath, and that was the wrath of every curse. And so when you look at the book of Leviticus or Deuteronomy, and you see all the curses for, for idolatry and, and for immorality and sexual impurity and for lying and for murder and for fornication, all these things, all of that was put in a cup, and the most holy, pure, sinless only perfect, sinless man drank the cup of all our sin. No wonder it was something he bled like drops of blood from the sweat of his brow. No wonder he said, let this cup pass from me. It's so grotesque. He took all of our curse upon him, and he drank it to the full. The Old Testament calls it the dregs, the little bits of grapes that's down at the bottom. In other words, there's nothing left of the curse on those who are believers in Jesus Christ. There's oppression, there's difficulty, there's 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 satanic attacks, there, there there's sin crouching at the door, there's still the flesh that remains in us, there's still a battle to be fought, but never, ever, ever let the enemy tell you that you're cursed. Never let him tell you that you're under the punishment of God. Yes, the discipline, yes, the correction, but not the The punishment of God, Jesus took all that. And for us to believe that we're under punishment now or under curse now is to diminish the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. It's to tell him, you didn't drink it full, let me finish the cup. It's to tell him that the blood was not a sufficient sacrifice. Far be it from us. The favor of God is far more than we think it is. Some of us think of it in in quite trivial forms, and, and maybe I shouldn't use the word trivia, because I, I believe in them. Um, sometimes you need the best parking space in front of the grocery store, <laughs> because you're just having one of those days. You do, you're just having one of those days, and the ki- kids are yelling at you, and the husband asks you last minute to go pick this up from the grocery store, and you c- crawl in there, and you know it's snowing out. Well, it doesn't snow here, does it? It'll rain in here, or whatever, or earthquake, earthquake in the parking lot or something. <laughs> And so you just want that, and God just says, you're my child, I love you, and and boom, right up front, there you go. To me, that's God's favor. You see, and, there, and there's two schools of thought when it comes to favor, and I've seen this because I've traveled in, uh, in, in almost all 50 states and, and 72 different countries around the world, and I see this battle going raging in the in the evangelical church, and on one side, you have I guess what you call the hyper-prosperity movement where, you know, everybody wants to have the mansion and the and the Rolls-Royce and the Learjet and uh, whatever you claim and the, the best of everything, and always, every day, you, you know, you wake up and look, there's Beanie Bears singing you know praise songs to you or something like that you know it's just it's just this weird mentality and there's an extreme that you know just everything's going to be good and coming up roses and you'll never have any difficulty and if you have started some small difficulties coming your way all you just got to do is confess them away and they'll be gone I wish it was that easy but then you have the other extreme and we talk a little bit less about that in the circles that I run in and that's the extreme of sort of like you know, this life is hard, and there's a lot of suffering, and there's pain, and there's sorrow, and, and there's trouble, and, and we live in a world that has fallen, and, and that's pretty much all you can expect, so bear with it. And, and, and that, kind of, that kind of mentality, the problem with that, it doesn't require any faith. To believe that times are bad, who needs faith for that? To believe this is a difficult world we live in, who needs faith for that? And so I, I, I don't want to see either extreme become our mentality or our experience. I don't want to see us live in a, in a, in a false world of, of an expectation of, of everything uh, being without pain and sorrow and difficulty. But nor do I want us to live in a faithless kind of life that says, this, I'm just stuck here. And there's nothing we can do about it except endure. As if, as if all that, the horrors of the world, the only thing they're are there is to teach us a lesson and that God is just doing stuff. I'm gonna make things bad in your life. I'm gonna give you cancer and I'm gonna get a divorce and your children are gonna run away and all that's gonna be so you can learn good lessons about how to get sanctified. Is that the only way he knows how to sanctify us? It sounds like God of thunder, Thor or something like that. You know, I'm just gonna do bad stuff and send lightning bolts your way and maybe you'll learn to behave. That's not the God I know. Is it the one you know? No, he's a good, good God and he's a good, good father and he loves to give good gifts to his children. So I believe he's a God of, of, uh, even though it wasn't in the circle I grew up in, but I believe he's the God of prosperity. I believe he loves to bless his children. I am a father. I have four children and now six grandchildren. And as a father, I want to see all four of my children and all six of my grandchildren prosper and be blessed and multiply and increase. I want them to have the best home they possibly could have. One of my sons just bought a home. The other's looking for a home right now. I hope they get the best bang for their buck. I hope they find some of the nice big backyard with green grass. And I hope their kids get out there and play in the playground. And I hope that they go to the best schools. And I hope they stay in good health. That's what a father wants for her children. Now, if if they should need some, some struggles to kind of strengthen their backbone a little bit, that's not bad for them. I, I don't mind, you know, especially with my, you know, my daughter, I'm a little more protective of my sons. It's like they get through a little bit of hardship. I'm going, you know, they, they get under a little bit of financial stress. That's not bad for you. Fight it, you know learn get a second job you know go and so I understand that there's discipline and there's there there and God isn't just sort of like a a genie to be rubbed and just give you everything you want to make your life pleasant and some of us times we paint the picture of God being that way but I think we need to be careful about not putting God at either ends of the extreme but seeing him as a good good father I love that we've been talking about fathers today a little bit because that's such a biblical account of who God is and, and the Bible is filled with the sense of the father heart of God, and, it's, and, and it is drawn out in how we become fathers. And I love that, Ron, you said it earlier. It's, 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 it's the parenting thing, not just m- the masculine, but that, that sense of being the father, the mother to, to our children. God has that. You know, if you trace the, the Old Testament, it's very different than our culture today. You know, we, especially, especially for us men, we live in a culture that's it's, it's the band of brothers, right? From the time of the movie to the John Eldridge movement of manhood, there's, there's this sense we're going to be brothers and we're going to fight the to fight together and we're going to stand strong as brothers. Biblical, powerful, passionate. I love the fact that I have some brothers in this room. I love that. But, you know, when you look at the Bible, the story of brothers isn't all that good. Have <laughs> you ever noticed that? Who were the first two brothers? Cain and Abel. That didn't work out too well for Abel, did it? Yeah, he's not bragging on his brother, you know, like, yeah, I had a great brother. My blood cries that out from the ground. No, not at all. And then then you have, you know, Joseph, his brothers didn't treat him extremely well either. Esau was not the best brother a man could have, right? And nor was his brother. And all through the Scripture, you have this David's brother's. Just ridiculed him and and cast him aside as you're an insignificant runt. You have no meaning and purpose. And, And so the idea of brothers in the scriptures, although scriptural and good for us, is not as strong as the imagery of father and son. Of parent and child. There you see, even in the even in the traditions of 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 the Hebrew children, is the father being the one who passes a blessing onto the children, from generation to generation, putting the hand on the head of the child and saying, I bless you, I call out the best in you, I give you my inheritance, all that I have is now bestowed upon you. That's the father heart of God. And that's, that's what it is when we speak of God's favor. We're speaking of a good, good father who cares for you, who sees the brokenness of your heart and wants to bring healing, who sees the struggle of your ministry and wants to bring blessing, who sees the difficulties you have internally of understanding who you are and what the call of God on your life is. He understands when you're struggling with uh, wanting to see great things take place and yet you don't seem to be experiencing them right now. He cares about that. He's watching over you, and he is a good, good father. When I was 12 years old, I was looking at a comic book, and on the very back page of the comic book, it had this, some of you guys may have seen this before, it was like a, I can't remember the thing, but it was like a 199-piece Civil War soldier set. So it had these little figurines of soldiers. It had the blue guys and the gray guys. And I was grew up in New York, so it was like, yeah, go blue. And... And, and so it was the north and the south. And, and then they had little cannons and horses. And then it had this big... Uh, Plastic mat, almost like a tablecloth, you could put across the table, and it had rivers and pictures of mountains. So you actually had a battle scene that you could put your soldiers on, and it was like $19. And I thought, that's the most amazing toys that I've ever seen in my life. 12 years old. My father is outside in my backyard, and he's sitting in a chair, and he has his Bible, and he's—I guess he's working on a sermon or something. And I get so excited, and I go out to my father, who is—is is if if you're familiar with him at all, one of the most gracious men you'll ever meet, one of the most compassionate, and then one of the most generous giving. And so I thought this is a no-brainer. I'm going to ask him, and he's going to like, you know, call the number right on the back, the 800 number, or take me down to the store where it's being sold, or order it on, you know, not online at the time, but just order it through the, order it through the mail. Do you remember the mail? That was this thing that you used to. <laughs> and and so I thought this is a no-brainer, and I went out there and I said, Dad, I I want this set. Look, I want this Civil War set, and he said. I'll never forget what he said, it kind of shocked me because it was out of his character and nature. He said, how dare you ask me for things? I give you everything you ever want. Every time you need something, I've already provided for you. I wish you wouldn't ask me for things like this. Now, that doesn't sound like a horror story to any of you, some of the experiences you might have had. But for me, sort of growing up in that environment, it put a shock in my, and I remember going back into my room thinking, I'm never going to ask my dad for anything again. That's embarrassing. I guess I shouldn't have asked for stuff. I, sh- I should have just trusted that he knows what I need and gives it to me. So I, I, don't, I don't want to ask him for anything. And I remember the hurt of that and, and kind of hiding it in my heart for a few weeks and it, creating a little bit of distance, just a, a distance of a knowing between my father and I that we had not had before. Well, about a month, maybe six weeks later, he comes home from work in the day and he has this big box that's wrapped in, as a present. And he says, son, I ordered this for you. I got it. And I had a, su- a suspicion of what it was tore open the paper and it was exactly, there was the Civil War set. And he had ordered it for me after feeling bad about what he had said to me. And we opened it up and we got to play this game together. I'll never forget it. it was like, like uh, you know, he, he got to be the South and I got to be the North. And I was like, you know, my guys were attacking his and he was like running away like, ah, help, I'm, I'm running for the hills. And I'll never forget that. It was like, he was playing the game with me. It was so good. It was, it was this perfect picture of father and son the way it was meant to be. And, and I'll never forget that because it's the picture, not the picture of God withholding, saying, why would you ask me that? I give you everything you need, but it's the picture of God providing, even without asking or allowing us to ask. Some of us are ashamed to ask God. We feel undeserving. We feel like we're a wretch. How, how dare we? Look at my history. Look at my brokenness. Look at my current situation. Look at my failures. How, how, I, I have no right to ask God. I'm not here today to say we have a right to ask him, but he's given us that right. He's given us not only a right, but he's suggested it to us. Not only has he suggested, he's commanded to ask, ask of me, and I will give you the nations. He, if, if he'll give us the nations, then he's willing to give us even the smaller desires of our heart. He wants to give. He loves to give. And look at this now. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 26. And I want to just talk for a few minutes about four ways that God gives his favor to us. Matthew 26, verse 26. Now they were eating, and Jesus took the bread. I like this story already. Just the first few words just really impresses me. They were eating. Mm, Makes me happy. Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread. Now that's the second word I love a whole lot too, bread. If if they just mentioned, if you just mentioned some butter here, I would be like salivating. Yeah, but but bread, maybe some oil, I don't know. Okay, then look at these words. And after blessing it, he broke it gave it and said, take, eat, this is my body. He took it, first of all, to take. The second thing is to bless. The third is to break. And the fourth is to give. I just want to take a few minutes and talk about each of those to to take. Jesus takes something. And I, I want to put in place of bread here in the story of you and me, our lives. The four things that Jesus does to show us his favor, and the first one is that he takes us. He accepts us. The very fact that we are accepted by God is enough favor alone if we never get the parking spot, if we never get the house, if we never get the car, if we never get the, 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 the health we're looking for. The fact that he has chosen us, that we are children of God, that we are sons and daughters. We get to be in his family. And now that does come with all the inheritance, but the fact that it just comes with him is the greatest favor of all. In the book, I talk about this, and I call it ultimate favor. I love all the other forms of favor, the the, the kindness, the mercy, the tenderness, the supply, the support, the prosperity, the forgiveness. I love all those things of God. But the greatest favor of God that he gives us is what I call the ultimate favor. And you know what that is? It's just him. It's him. The greatest favor God has ever done for me is let me know him. Moses talked about this kind of favor when he was asked if he wanted to enter into the promised land. He said, you can go ahead. There's milk, there's honey, there's land, there's possessions, there's inheritance, there's future for your children, there's everything you could possibly want except, what? I'm not going to go with you. And Moses says, Lord, if you don't go, I'm not going. Because all those things, as good as they might be, if I don't have you, I don't have what I really want. And ultimate favor, the greatest favor you could possibly have is just knowing him, walking with him, being in his presence, filling his love, filling his grace, feeling his, being filled with his mercy. When you have that, you have you have the ultimate favor of God. It almost sounds trite. It almost sounds like, of course, we know that. But to fully experience that deep in your heart changes everything. It's a game changer. It changes everything. It heals your, your, your mental state. It, it calms the troubled soul. It, it brings peace no matter what kind of storms are raging around you. It, it, it supplies the grace when, you know, because sometimes Jesus in his favor will, in the midst of the storms of your life, we'll say to the storm, peace be still, and the storm's gone. Other times, the storm rages and you pray, take the storm away, and his favor is, the storm's going to continue, but I'm going to give you peace and my presence in the midst of the storm. And sometimes we get angry with God when he doesn't speak to the storm and say, storm be stilled, and he keeps the storm going or allows the storm to continue, and we don't realize his favor is that sometimes he's with us in the boat when we're in the storm. There's a favor of God in both situations. And for me, the ultimate favor is that his presence is there. One writer put it this way, he asked the question, if you could go to heaven and have the streets of gold and the mansion and, and the angels singing and perfect health and no more sorrow, no more suffering, uh, uh, joyful events every moment of the day, feasts and, and festivals and music and dancing in the streets, if you could have all that except God wasn't and Jesus wasn't there, would you still want to go? And I think for the answer for many of us this would be, yeah, maybe That's, that sounds pretty good to me. But the reality is, one look in the face of Jesus, and we would trade everything else. Just, just to see him face to face in, in eternity. But not only that, then, then to get to spend eternity with him, knowing him more, loving him more, walking with him as our elder brother and as our father God, we're, gonna re, we're going to experience ultimate favor. So this is what I say when he takes. He takes the bread. He takes you. And he says, you're mine. I love you. You're my cherished one. I, I, I want to partake with you. I, I want you to enter me. I want to be full of you. That He, he loves you and he likes you. Isn't that good news? that 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 he not only just says, "I love you because i'm the head of Christianity, and Christians are supposed to like one another but he but he but he not just loves you but he likes you, he loves your company, he loves your presence he your devotional time is is, is, is meaningful to him. You know, we think about it like, man, I had a good devotion this morning. His presence was so real. I can picture God in heaven saying like, I had a good devotional time this morning with Gary. His presence was so real to me. It was like he was right there. He was really paying attention to me. He wasn't distracted. He wasn't thinking of, you know, what was happening in the news that day or his next business meeting. He was thinking about me. It was a great time. That's, that's ultimate favor, is that we have his presence, that he's taking us to himself. Then it says, and he and, and then he blessed it. So, so he takes us to himself, but then he blesses us. That's, that's the, the extravagant favor of God. Ultimately, we have him, but then he says, you know, that could be enough for you. It should be enough for you, but I'm a good, good father, so I have more for you. So I have health, and I have healing, and I have deliverance, and I have strength, and I have power, and I have a calling, and I have a ministry, and I have an inheritance, and I have, I have blessing after blessing. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Just count them. You, you can't. You know, my father taught me you can't outgive God. He just constantly, he's a God who's blessing. He loves to, to bless and, and to pour out his blessing upon us. There's blessing after blessing. And then it says, thirdly, he, he broke it. So here's a bit of a harder part here, that he tears down things in our lives. And, and we don't see that as a blessing when it comes, do we? Does that make sense to you? That he begins to, to tear at things in our life. I, I had this picture recently, and it wasn't a pleasant picture. It wasn't a pleasant understanding of my reality, and I pictured the scaffolding that I had built. Um, you ever see like if they're putting new stucco on the outside of a wall, they build that metal scaffolding with the railings. And I was picturing the scaffolding of a, of a building of my life that I was trying to build. And and in this building, there were certain things that I felt like I needed to build on, like like I wanted to be successful in life. So there's this success. And, and forgive me for, you know, I'm confessing some of my sin to you, but growing up in a home where my father was was fairly well known, uh, in the evangelical circles, I kind of thought to be successful and to be a thriving minister, you had to have some notoriety. You had to have a name. So, so I was building the scaffolding, like trying to make a name for myself, fame and fortune and success and, and honor and dignity and, and people inviting you places and books that sell to people. And, and you get on TV and like, I'm building this life and I'm so happy that this life is starting to build. And, but it's, it's shaky. It's it, it, like as I'm climbing up this building, it's like this isn't very substantial, and and I start to question myself: Am I building my life on this? And I look down below what I'm building it on, and all of a sudden the parable that Jesus taught became a reality to me: the the foolish man built his house on the sand. And I'm realizing I'm building my house on ministry success and fame and fortune and, and notoriety and, and applause of man and, and getting accolades. I'm building my whole life on this, and it's on sand, and it's, it's a shaky foundation. And, and I'm inviting Jesus, Jesus, come help me. And in this picture I have, he, he's coming there, and he's grabbing a hold of the bottom of the scaffolding. I'm going, I'm glad you're there to help you know, keep this thing up. And all of a sudden, he starts going like this. And I'm going, wait, whoa, stop. You're going to tear this thing apart. He says, yeah, that's why I'm here. Uh, this false construct that you have of what a blessed life would look like is on the wrong foundation and you're building it on the wrong, out of the wrong materials. Your whole life, and all of a sudden, I just realized so much of my life is built on the things that 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 are carnal and fleshly. They're my man-made desires to be to be thought of well and to be accepted by others and to feel good about myself. And some of those are okay things, but not to build your life on. Th- those are things that he doesn't mind blessing you with some 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 sense of success or victory over things, but. Not to build your whole life on that. That's not the foundation to build your house on the rock. And so, so, I, so in this, this vision, or so to speak, I had, I was like, Lord, what are you doing shaking the, the core of this? And he said, do you remember when I said I would destroy the temple? And I said, I want to destroy this idolatry that you have, this idolatry of you thinking that this is going to make you joyful or happy or you'll finally be what you want to be when you get to this certain level of success. And he said, I want to destroy that temple of idolatry that you've built so that I could rebuild it in three days and rebuild it on a rock that's solid, rebuild it on on a life that's built on joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and self-acceptance and not feeling like I have to try harder all the time and I'm not doing enough and, (coughs) excuse me, I'm not sufficient enough. It's not built on that anymore. It's not built on trying to earn some kind of Babel uh, uh, temple to the sky. It's built on the foundation of I'm already accepted. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to show my value in, in, in any way. God, uh, thank you. God gives. See, that's the favor of God, just you get water as soon as you're coughing. It's just, it's just incredible just that, that, that God just, and so, so, the, so the, there's a move so, God wants to, to break things in our life. And we may think it's not His favor. It's like, well, I had favor last week because you were blessing me, but now my ministry's in a hard place. My family's in a hard place. My body's in a hard place. My relationships are in a difficult place. What happened to the favor of God? Did it dissipate? No, it's still there. He took you, He blessed you, but He also broke you. He broke us of of the the, the wrong patterns, the the false constructs of what we feel like is going to give us worth and value. Those things don't give us any worth. They don't give us any value. Our value is already there. It's in that we're children of God. And so he is in his love and his favor is willing to break off the things that we construct out of our own life that we feel will give us success. And he moves us onto the solid rock of the success that he has for us. Lastly, what he says is then he gives it. And so he takes a man or takes a woman who has been taken into himself and and is with him and knows what it's like to spend time in the presence of the Lord. And then he blesses that person and increases them and gives them doors of opportunity. But then he breaks them and the things that don't belong in that life are, are, are put through the refiner's fire and brought out, cleansed. And then he has a vessel, as the scriptures say, meat or available or purposed for his good use. And that's what you are, my friends. You may not feel like it. You may not feel like you're there yet, but he has already got you there. Because you have already been taken by the Lord, haven't you? And you have already been blessed by the Lord, haven't you? And how many could say amen? You've been broken a little bit too, right? Amen. You've been broken up and down, in and out, left and right. But it's been all for your good. Even what seemed like the enemy intended for evil, God turned it for his good. And the brokenness that you have been through has been preparing you for this day right that he has right now he says and now I'm ready to give you I'm ready to pour you out I'm ready to multiply you remember when he gave the, the the loaves and the fishes to the to the 50 that were sitting in groups the the original Greek there speaks of him not breaking and and giving as a one-time thing, but it's a a plural thing, as if he continued to break and he continued to give. In other words, like, now I break and give, and then I break again, and I give, and I break again, and I give. It's a continuous thing. There's a continuous breaking and a continuous giving. He's, He's breaking us so that he can pour us out more to more people multiply our ministry, multiply our impact, multiply our effect. As he brings down the false construct of a life built on sand, he begins to build one on a rock, and he blesses that, and he multiplies that, and he begins to use that foundation to give to people. And you have something greater to give. You have something greater to pour out. There's something new in you. How many of you in ministry, you don't have to raise your hand, but I know you've heard this before. Maybe it's in your church or people under your ministry. They say, there's something different about you. I've had some experiences where I've gone through a breaking with God, and he's brought me out and blessed me, and then it begins to pour me out in new ways. And people recognize that. They say, there's something different about you. And my prayer for you today is that the favor of God would so fall heavily upon each one of us in this room that there would be a sense of not only am I taken fully by the acceptance of my heavenly Father who loves me so much, and he has blessed me, he's poured out his riches, blessings upon me that, that are unmerited favor, but he's also broken me so that for a purpose, so I'm ready to give. Man, I'm ready to give. And when you do, when you come out of... Uh, When you minister out of brokenness, it's very different than when you minister out of pride. When you minister out of a sense of, oh, I can do this. I got the great sermons. I got the great theology. I got the great insights. I got the great illustrations. Have you ever heard a preacher like that? They're so full of themselves. You know that they just think they're the hottest thing in the world. And you can hear it in their voice. And it actually can be a really good sermon. I can be really impressed. like, wow, that guy can really preach. But there's no sense of brokenness in it. And without that brokenness in there, you don't really become a voice. You become an echo. You, just, you can say good things and you can manipulate a crowd and you can get good amens out of people and you can even get an emotional response at the end of it. But unless it's the real brokenness that comes out of being taken and blessed by the Lord, then when you're given, you're not given the same way. You're giving more of yourself, your false construct, because that has not been broken down yet. So you're actually giving of yourself. And what are you giving of yourself when you're giving that way? You're giving a sense of, I want to be something. I want to make a name for myself. I want to impress you today as I preach this sermon. I want the altar to be packed with people. So in my next uh, newsletter, I can put thousands came to the altar. And we have all of these false constructs of what uh, uh, our kingdom should look like. And it's not until that's broken and destroyed that God really has something to give. And then, then he gives out of that brokenness. If you are a broken vessel, don't despise that. Don't dishonor that. Accept it. Take it in as part of yourself. With thanksgiving, thank you. Lord, I thank you for taking me, choosing me. Oh, I thank you for blessing me. But I thank you that you also take the bread and break it. Because it's out of that brokenness that you multiply I me mean, now. I have, I have more to give than I ever thought I could give. I have something to say. There's an anointing on my life. There's a calling. There's... There's something that's different. There's, there's a uniqueness about that voice. Unfortunately, it's very uncommon to hear it, but you know it when you recognize it, and you sense it in yourself when you're going through it. Am I right? Aren't your richest times that have come out of brokenness when you've experienced something that you just didn't understand and you feel like, God, where were you? Why did you let me go through this? And then you come out of it and go like, I don't know why, but I'm a little bit stronger my son, he's a bodybuilder, and he tells me that. He goes, Dad, when you're in the gym, you're not thinking like, wow, look at my muscles. They get bigger. But after you do it for a while, they just kind of swell, he calls it, on their own. And, and he gets swollen, you know, and gets, and his arms get big, you know, almost like his dad. You're laughing far too hard at that. You should not have laughed. You should, you should have said amen. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Thank you, sweetheart. <laughs> She blesses me. I have a favor. I, I, have, I have a favor. Not great discernment, but a lot of blessing. <laughs> no, she, no, I'm sorry. I'm you. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. I kind of lost my. Oh, yes. Yeah, so my son was, he's talking about that. It's, it's just uh, the, the difficulty is what creates the muscle. And, and it's the pain that you might be going through right now. And, and I just want to encourage you in your pain that, that don't try to escape it too fast. Don't, 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 don't try to, to tell the Father it's time you're out of it. Maybe, maybe it's going to take a while to shake that scaffolding. Maybe it's going to take a while to move the, the foundation from the sand to the rock, but let him do his work because it's a beautiful work. It's a mighty work, and it's creating in you a depth that you would never have before. It's creating you in a strength. It's creating in you an endurance. This generation doesn't talk a lot about endurance. It talks a lot about quick access to victories and successes and claiming things and getting rid of things and... And the slow work of sanctification is not spoken of very often. But that painful work of being broken is the kind of work that God wants to do in you and I to create in us this preciousness of the pure gold, the refined fire, that which cannot be melted melted by the, 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 the pressures of the world because it's already been through the fires of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we... We gloat in and just go like, hey, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm going through the fire. How about you? It's like, no, my fire's worse than yours. Let's compare fires. <laughs> it's, I'm not talking about it that way. It's, just, it's not something where, like, like, we're praying today, like, you know, on my prayer list, number three is, like, send me through more fire. It's like, it's just, you don't have to ask, but he's doing it because we're asking for blessing and we're asking for favor. And he goes, okay, the journey to favor is often through breaking is through the fire. The refinement, the journey through refinement is often through the fire. Don't despise the fire. Don't despise the refinement. Don't despise him shaking the very foundations of your life. For some of us, this is, this is right to the core of everything we've built our life on. Isn't that shocking? It's like, I've built my whole life on, on a desire for success, and now God's saying, no, move, shake. That's to be destroyed. That's, that's tough news. That's tough. Some, some people can be 60, 70 years old and hear this story like, no, you built your whole foundation on something that's not the rock, but it's not too late. And, and I've still been taking you, and I've still been blessing you, and I've still been giving you, but now I'm going to let a little bit more breaking happen so that there's a greater move. The more you move, the more I move through you. The more there's a movement of you off that island of, of, of sand and onto the rock, the more I can grow you and develop you. Amen. Amen. So, Father, we pray now in the name of Jesus. Mm. There, there, there's pain in this, and there's difficulty in this, and there's suffering in it. There's, there's pain in understanding in the first place that sometimes we're constructing our whole life on the, on the wrong foundation, and we're wanting things. We're asking for things that are not things you really would want to give to us. So we repent of that. We say we're sorry, Lord. Lord, we're sorry that we've built our life on pleasing people or building kingdoms for ourselves or wanting to be recognized for the work we do or to be uh, even just just real secular stuff, to be famous, to to have more Facebook followers, to have uh, just all this junk. And Lord, we just renounce that now in the name of Jesus. We say our ministry was never intended to be, nor will it be from this point forward built on that sand of, of the self that needs to be built up because we feel insignificant, so we're trying to get worth out of the ministry. Or, or, or we renounce that we have, we, we have felt empty inside, so we're trying to fill ourselves with ministry successes. We renounce the fact that we have, have, have a, a drank from other sources. Just like Jeremiah said, you've, dr- you've drank from broken cisterns in muddy waters when you had available rivers of living water. We, we renounce and repent, Lord, drinking from any source of life, any form of desire to fill our empty hearts with anything other than, than you have taken us and blessed us. And we receive that now, God. We thank you that all blessing is in you. All receiving of who we really are, our true identity is in you. All sense of fruitfulness and success and vibrancy of our life is, is all, all, as you said in scripture, all our springs of joy are in you, O oh Lord. And, and Lord, we now, we just, we, we even, even in, in, in our understanding, we would see in our own mind you shaking that scaffolding, the thing that doesn't belong, where we built our life, and just tearing it down and saying, okay, it's not too late, now's the time, we're moving this building to a strong foundation and I'm building something. You might we destroy the old, and in three days, I'm going to build up something new. It's going to be fresh. It's going to be alive. It's going to be vibrant. It's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's going to be joy unspeakable like never before. It's going to have a, an anointing on it like never before, not a striving anointing to try to get something to happen, but a graceful anointing that happens just because everywhere you go, there's the presence of God. Thank you, Jesus. Now I thank you in the name of Jesus that you're here to transition us onto that solid rock and build a life, even if it takes breaking, we say, yes, Lord, here I am. Break me, God. Break, break my heart, Lord, so that I might be able to be given out to others, might be able to be poured out to others. Blessing. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. Would you mind standing with me? If we could just sing one song together and just, let's just, I just feel like we need to let this thing sink in our heart and maybe for you to take a few moments with the Lord. And it could be your, you understand, uh, you just want to give thanks for his blessing and taking you, it could be you're going through a breaking experience and you need to, to even give thanks for that. Or it could be simply you saying, you know what, I, I, I have realized today that I have built my life. That scaffolding, I'm building it the wrong way. And you just want to ask the Lord to, 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 just, to move that thing. As we're singing the song, just take some time, would you? And just let the Lord minister to you and you minister to him. Have that conversation. This is a very important conversation. If we want ultimate favor... We're gonna to have to go through this journey. And I and I pray that you would receive it wholeheartedly here together today. Hallelujah.